Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back to another edition of the Unreasonable Odds podcast. This, you know, podcast might look a little odd because Julian and I being together at the same time on the same podcast, it's not something that's happened much here in 2021, but here on June 10th, 2021, you're getting a special edition, unfortunately, of the Unreasonable Odd podcast because we're together. So we're actually going to be talking about some sports subjects as this podcast was meant to be. And there's a lot going on in the sports world right now, but I want to kick it off with what just recently happened over in the NFL, probably one of the biggest moves we've seen all through this offseason. Julio Jones finally getting his wish granted, moving on from the Falcons, going to the Tennessee Titans, which initially for me, Julian, I don't know how you felt like this. I thought it was a terrible landing spot. I was not excited about him going to the Titans, not because I'm a Patriots fan and, you know, my homer inside of me wanted him to go to the Patriots, but I just thought overall how the Titans have run their game offensively. You know, they're a very run heavy team. Now you add somebody like Julio Jones, who should draw plenty of attention, but I was, I'm not exactly thrilled, you know, with the quarterback and Ryan Tannehill. Now, you know, I can't say that I was thrilled with him with Matt Ryan to begin with, but I guess I was kind of hoping that he would land someplace else in a more ideal spot. But as time has gone on now, I'm starting to actually like this a little bit more as I kind of look into this, read into this, hear people's opinions about this. You know, the, the, uh, the return was kind of surprising for me. You know, the Falcons only ended up getting a 2022 second round pick and a 2023 fourth round pick. And when you think about what the Falcons were looking for originally in the first week leading up to the draft, they were asking for a first round pick and nobody was even buying. I think the closest that they even got to obtaining one was going to be in a pick swap. So nobody was even willing to give up a first round pick, even for a talent like Julio Jones. What were your initial reactions on this trade? And are you okay with the landing spot in Tennessee? Yeah, I mean, the first rounder just wasn't going to happen because of the amount of money, the contract that Julio Jones is, is on. That's a part of right. it. It's not that Julio Jones' talent isn't worth a first rounder. It's that paying him what he's going to get paid over the next few years um, is going to have to make a team work around things. And what happens as soon as the trade happens? Ryan Tannehill starts reworking his contract to make Julio's money fit, uh, which I would do too if I was uh, Ryan Tannehill because he's sitting pretty right now. Uh, it does, you know when you hear it at first sit kind of funny. And I think we still have some bias for the Tannehill that we saw in Miami, yeah. not being that great. I think he's developed into a much better quarterback in Tennessee. 
and then you give him Julio and that just makes him better. So I, I like the landing spot. Um, I did grab some, I think it sits at minus 167 now on DraftKings Sportsbook. I grabbed some at minus 135. Titans yep. to make the playoffs. Uh, the Colts are going to be a good team in that division with Carson Wentz. I think the, the division's kind of a coin flip. You can get plus money on Tennessee. So that's how I would bet it. Uh, Wentz, I think, will be better in Indy. But of course, the injuries are always a thing with him. But the playoffs, I think, is much safer with the three wild card teams. You can let the Colts, you can have the Colts win the division and still get one of those wild card spots. Uh, I think they're a pretty safe team. You know, sitting, the juice is starting to get there, but sitting, you know, a lot right. of these teams that have had as good a run as the Titans have had the last couple of years sit at minus 200, minus 250 to make the playoffs. Um, so I like backing it that way. I'm not really getting into the player prop market because of this i don't know you know things are going to look different julio jones has played a lot of games a lot of good games in domes in atlanta yep in new orleans um it's going to be a little different so i don't want to touch his yardage but who i mean julio jones personally is one of my favorite receivers in in football i I like the way that he plays i think he's going to add a dimension to that Tennessee offense that wasn't there before. I think it's going to do great yes. things for AJ Brown. I think it's going to do great things for Derrick Henry. If he can get any better, he's already like a 2000 yard guy, but <laughs> it's just going to open up Tennessee's offense. As long as the, you know, those three pieces and Tannehill are healthy. Um, and the offensive line isn't a wreck or anything out of nowhere. Um, a lot of, lot of guys that can really move the ball downfield. Uh, in this offense. So I think it's going to be, uh, you know, a, an interesting year to see kind of how we, how we adjust to that in player props and DFS, but it's going to be a good offense. No. And I'm glad you brought that up too. Cause that was going to be one of my points too. The Titans off season got off to a really rough stop start. They lost Corey Davis. He ended up going to the jets, obviously John O Smith. He ended up going with the Patriots. So they lose two big bodies right there. Now this right. offense that, you know, <laughs> was heavily relying upon Derrick Henry to begin with at first seemed like, they're really going to have to rely on Derrick Henry. But then, and this is kind of going back to my original point, as I started to read more and started to think about it more, I mean, this actually does wonders for Derrick Henry. Because at the end of last season, you know, you can worry about A.J. Brown. Corey Davis is a hit or miss, but they're always boxing it up Derrick Henry with eight or nine defenders trying to stop the run. Didn't usually work, but at least the effort was made. They can't do that anymore. You can't let Julio Jones go into single coverage. You can't let A.J. Brown go into single coverage. So now you really have to kind of cherry pick who you're trying to stop against the Titans. And that's a dynamic they didn't really have before. So that really does bring in a whole different element for them. Now on the Falcons side, go ahead. I was just going to say that maybe Tennessee could use a little bit of an upgrade from what they have left over at, at tight end. That would be nice. That would help. Yeah to get somebody there, not Johnny Smith's level, obviously, but, but somebody, but yeah, that's the whole idea of it is just having Julio Jones and AJ Brown opposite each other. Uh, You're either going to get beat deep or Henry's going to have a lot more room than he's used to, uh, you know, in front of that line. So now on the Falcon side, this obviously has some big ramifications too here as well. Yep. Calvin Ridley is now the bona fide wide receiver one. We've seen him play that role multiple times because at least if there's one thing that we can say about Julio Jones for sure is that he deals with a number of injuries. So there is no guarantee that he's going to play all 17 games this season. But this also opens up Russell Gage. 
And this also opens up an interesting spot for Kyle Pitts. If Kyle Pitts is everything that everybody is saying he is, which is that, yes, you label him as a tight end, but he's anything but a tight end. He's basically a wide receiver. So I look over at the DraftKings Sportsbook, and this is a very heavy rookie season, obviously. But I look at somebody like Kyle Pitts who, you know, could basically challenge Calvin Ridley for the wide receiver one role if you really want to believe the hype in him, sitting at eight to one. Now, tight ends usually don't flourish in their rookie years. We all know that notion there. But you look at that field, obviously it's very quarterback heavy with the amount of quarterbacks and good quarterbacks that we've seen this year. But I love looking at Kyle Pitts at 8-1 for offensive rookie of the year over on the DraftKings Sportsbook. I think it's a really interesting bet to make because you know the ball is going to be going his direction. Matt Ryan does not have his security blanket anymore in Julio Jones. So that ball has to be spread around uh, a bit more. They obviously do have a nice addition at running back with Mike Davis. So that's an element that they also haven't had. But there is so much that I like about Kyle Pitts at 8-1 to one for offensive rookie of the year. Not as a slam dunk, but definitely somebody with as the season goes on, like definitely those odds could be shifting. Yeah, I don't hate it. Um, I think he, I think he has a solid chance. The question is really do one of the, do one of the quarterbacks make some noise and lead a team to the playoffs or, you know, Trevor Lawrence gets the Jags to 500 ish and that's good enough to, to win it. Um, You know, like a Kyler Murray had a pretty eh, rookie season. He was like just good enough and won it because nobody else particularly stood out. I think Pitts should stand out. Um, I think, you know, maybe Ridley shifting to the wide receiver one now opens up stuff for Pitts. Uh, it's it's Kyle Pitts. A lot of people thought was the best player in the draft. So at eight to one, yeah. it's a it's a good bet. It's just historically tight end is not going to win rookie of the year. But this is a unique case. Um, I'm excited to see when his yardage total comes out. I think it did come out on DraftKings, and it was it's it's gone now. Uh, a lot of players are gone. Um, it was right. pretty high, and I think people were taking the under, uh, which isn't great now that you know with Julio gone, that number is gonna gonna change so i think that maybe a a play on the yardage uh is is where i'm gonna look just in case i'm just more confident in that than uh him actually winning rookie of the year it's almost like you're fading the entire quarterback class of first rounders if uh if you do go that route so that is some of the uh one of the bigger news in the nfl as of right now but let's shift our attention over to the nba we have two games going tonight here thursday june 10th we have the nets and bucks the nets looking to kind of really just put a stranglehold on this series leading 2-0 over the bucks uh only game two for the clippers and jazz utah with the early lead in that one one nothing what are your kind of leans on this one coming up obviously you know the nets like i just mentioned could really just kind of put this one away the bucks have almost look pretty lifeless so far. And then Clippers and Jazz, I know there's been a lot of love for the Clippers coming into this series. So where are you kind of leaning here uh, for Thursday's games? Yeah, the Bucs have, uh, you know, after impressing and, you know, getting the monkey off their back and sweeping the heat who knocked them out last year and they were going to give the Nets a series, they have become the Bucks again that struggle in the playoffs and just cannot get it done. Um, if they win a game, it, it's it's this one, I think. Uh just like the Celtics kind of snuck up and stole that game three at home yep. in, in the last round when nobody thought it was possible. Um, if I bet it, it's nets or nothing for me though. Uh, <clears throat> it, 
they've just been so good with their adjustments. Um, there's no answer for Kevin Durant, even with Harden off the floor. It's just more Durant, more Irving, right. and it hasn't really been an issue. So for me, I'm either going to bet the Nets plus 143 right now as we record on the money line, or maybe I won't play it or play it very small and just kind of watch and do something in game. Like if the Bucks get off to a fast start and they're at home with the big crowd for the first time and uh, they maybe get a little bit of help from the officials to try and keep this thing closer, like I think we'll be able to tell, okay, maybe this isn't going to be the Nets night and they'll try and get this in five games. If the Nets come out and just keep this relatively even um, early, I think I'll take the Nets and I think they'll still be at a fine number that you can just bet them live. And I'll also say going, um, going into game four, I think I like the Nets money line for game four, regardless of who wins this game, as long as they stay healthy and nothing crazy happens. Um, if this become if this does become two to one, I think the Nets want to make sure that they, uh, you know, buy Harden some time and close this series out. And I, I think that they would bounce back and win that game to make it three one and go home for a game five and not have that pressure and that storyline looming. Will Harden return for a game five if it's two two when they kind of yeah. now need him? I think it avoids that. So I, I like them in in game four. And then if if the Nets do wind up winning tonight and it's three to nothing the Bucs are going to lay down in game four and the Nets are going to take care of business and get it done and get hardened some rest before the Eastern conference finals. So Nets game four for the weekend is, is one that I already have circled. Now I think it's kind of interesting too, that the, the Bucs for being down two nothing in this series are very big favorites tonight. Like you mentioned, minus one, one seventy five. the Nets have only been underdogs 21 times this season. They're 12 and nine in that scenario, plus plus one forty three. So with the Bucs as big of a favorite as they are right now, they are down two games to none, but I look at that series line that they have for the series winner. the Bucs are at plus three eighty. So hypothetically, if you look at the lines here, they should be winning this game. And now they're, now they're only down two to one. Do you think that that plus 380 is somewhat enticing to look at because of how big of favorites they are tonight you know if they can pull off the next one then that series is all tied up and now we're back to square one and now it becomes a best out of three is this worth a shot taken at that plus 380 or do you think that the nets are just you know maybe they lose this one but then they just kind of roll with it after right so i see what you're saying there one of them has to be mispriced and you're saying so if this is the spread the series has to be a little mispriced i think the series is appropriately priced and this game is mispressed. I think this game should just be closer to a pick at this point, um, given what we've seen so far and uh, given the adjustments that have been uh, made, I guess. The Nets adjusted from a win without James Harden when it wasn't in the game plan to an even bigger win with James Harden out of the game plan for, for both teams. So I've been impressed by, by what they've done so far. And uh, I would have probably had this game around to pick them. So I think that's where the pricing mismatches. And then real quick, I just want to touch upon uh, Friday's games too, as well. The Sixers and Hawks going in that one. We'll go, uh, that's... go, uh, go Clippers jazz real quick, actually, because sure, go ahead. the late game on, on Thursday, I have already bet Clippers plus plus one thirty money line. I very much like this one to even up at one going back to LA. Um, Game one, I mean, the Clippers came out ready. They had that. They withstood a barrage of three-point shooting in the second half and lost it by three. 
but Mitchell absolutely went off. Uh, Luke Kennard getting into that pick and roll every time and letting Donovan Mitchell score. That can't happen again. That needs to be the first adjustment for the Clippers. It would be ridiculous of them not to, you know, have him off the floor late and have a defender that can, you know, handle that pick and roll situation with Mitchell. Kawhi Leonard was nothing special. Um, Marcus Morris and Paul George shot a combined eight for 31. I just think it's going to bounce back the Clippers way uh, in this game and, and getting them plus money here. I, I like a lot. So looking at that Friday's uh, series of games that we have Sixers and Hawks, that series is tied one to one Suns at nuggets. Obviously the Suns are massive, massive favorites in this one. I think they're minus nine, 10 to win this series with that two nothing lead against the nuggets. Uh, obviously the Hawks have been one of the bigger surprises here. You know, you and I were both on the under for their win total. They uh, absolutely went past that one. Um, but they the were four, been... they were 14 and 20 at right. one point in time. <laughs> this team was 14 and 20 and cost me my win total under cost me my Knicks first round bet um, and cost me my Sixers game one bet. And that cost me a what the hell ever I'm going to make a degenerate bet because I'm bored. Uh, and then ended up losing on that, but that's okay because you know those win totals, you know they're they're a complete hit or miss. Um, but obviously the this is well, this game is close to a pick'em here. The uh, Sixers are favored minus one and a half on the spread here as favorites, so they have absolutely dominated as favorites, fifty and thirteen on the season as favorites. But like I said, the Hawks have been extremely surprising so far. They are just absolutely it feels like tearing these playoffs apart. Um, what are your thoughts on this series moving forward and more specifically on this, on this game for Friday? Yeah, I think that the Hawks might have another game in them, um, at some point, but I really like the Sixers to close out this series, whether it be in five, six, or even seven, I would really like them in a game seven at home still. Um, so I just kind of lean, if you're going to give me this like pick them type of game, Philly minus 122 money line, I'm just going to take them. I know that the Hawks might have one left in them, but if you lose it, I feel like you can come back and bet Philly again in game four and you're going to get there. They're not going to go down three to one in this series. Uh, the Hawks were up like 20, whatever at halftime of game one. And in the three halves since then, the Sixers have won those by like almost 40 points, I think. So they made adjustments. They made adjustments in game and game one to come back and almost win it. And then those adjustments carried over into a, a big win in game two. Um, and for the most part, those adjustments are get Danny green out of there as much as possible because he is a three and D guy who is getting older and can no longer three and D. So get him off the floor, keep a guy like Thibel out there, a longer defender, a guy who can bother Trey young. Those are big guys, Thibel and Ben Simmons to cover a, Trey Young, you know, smaller point guard who he'll still make some plays, but that's going to be your biggest advantage in this series is limiting Trey Young the way that they did in game two. Uh, nobody can cover Embiid. The Hawks are going to make some shots. They, they're a good young team. They're exciting, but I, Philly gets this done. If you're really tempting me with this minus one and a half, minus 122 money line, like I think I'm going to, yeah, I think I'm going to be betting the road team in every game Thursday and Friday night uh to get it done which tips my cap for this phoenix nuggets uh or shows my hand for this phoenix and and denver game Jokic gets the mvp award before the game um yep. fun story but I, this is kind of like a a lightweight battle of, of bucks milwaukee um or 
Brooklyn, Milwaukee in the sense that, you know, the Suns mopped the floor with the Nuggets in the first two games. And now they're underdogs in game three. Like, is it going right. to swing back to Denver? Everything I've seen from the Suns is that they just have this incomplete control and, and the Nuggets just don't have an answer for Chris Paul, Booker, um, Aiton can hold his own. Bridges and Crowder are, are doing their jobs out on the wing. If you're going to give me the Suns at plus money, I'm probably going to take the Suns. And you look at the Suns too. As away underdogs against the spread, they're eight and three and been covered by an average of 5.2 points. So they have just like thrived in this scenario. And again, this is kind of like you said with that Nets and Bucks game. You know, you look at the series line on this one, it's minus 910 for the Suns. Like it's so astronomical. And yet the Nuggets are favored right. in this spot. It's, so it's kind one, of incredible to see this. This one, I, I agree with you on. Something has to be mispriced here. And I think it's game three that's mispriced because if the Suns are minus nine, whatever, to win the series, like there's literally no shot for the Nuggets unless there's an injury to the Suns like there was to the Lakers in the first round because the Lakers at one point in time were also minus 900 and the Suns yeah. won that series. But that took an Anthony Davis injury. Um so it'll take a similar Chris Paul, Devin Booker type of injury to, to swing it back to, to Denver. And Chris Paul does get hurt. So let's not, especially in the playoffs, let's not rule that out. But uh, if Phoenix is a minus 900 favorite in the series, why are they an underdog in a game? Right. I mean, to be fair, you know, Denver has done well at home um, during the season. So, I mean, I guess that is where that would land. I guess because you look at Denver's record, 27 and 12 straight up at home this season, and they, um, they've covered on the spread by an average of just under two points. So there is that. But, you know, like you said, like with the way that the Suns have played so far in this series, you know, it just doesn't feel like that they have a chance. Uh, I mean, maybe they take, they seal this one at home, but this is just, it, it just seems a like very oddly priced, in my opinion. And if Denver does get this game, like I feel like it's because they stepped their offense up to keep up with the Suns. Like, I don't think the Suns are going to have like a 98 point dud. They've been scoring in the one twenties, the first two games of this series after things were kind of a, sl a slower pace against the Lakers. So Suns team total isn't out yet, but if you don't want to back the money line, you're afraid Denver gets it. It's going to be because they score and keep up. So I would look at maybe the Suns team total over getting that in a win or a loss. Any other closing thoughts before we move on from uh, NBA? Um, not really other than like, so, you know, I've been piling on the nets to win the East all season. That's minus two fifty now. So you probably, you probably don't want to do that, but look at who's left in, in the West. Um, you know, the Clippers could give him trouble if they got there. The Suns could give some trouble if they got there, but Brooklyn would, Brooklyn would be, and will be a huge favorite in the finals when they win the East. They're still on the board at plus 120 to win it all, getting that plus money. You know, if they win tonight, if they win Thursday night, plus money could be gone for the Nets to win the title the rest of the way out. So Thursday, plus 120, Nets to win it all, I would probably get in there again. All right, so just quickly want to touch upon MLB tonight too as well. Only six games on the dock tonight, so not a really like a full one here. I just wanted to point out this astronomical total going over with the Yankees and Twins. This is playing in Minnesota. I had yeah. to make sure this game wasn't in Coors Field for some whatever reason. <laughs> but the over-under is at 11. 
11 runs tonight in MLB in a non-Coors Field game. I cannot tell you the last time I saw a total that high. Absolutely astronomical. Michael King, who's been in the rotation, uh, this will be his third start going against Jay Happ, who just can't get outs at all. For somebody yeah, who I was going to say, you know, I'm I, normally I have my baseball articles, some best bets, some stacks or whatever, and this is my first year kind of focusing on other things and being off of baseball and NBA goes later. So like when I'm out of the loop, I had to look up the pitching matchup. I'm like, are these guys this bad to have this total? Well, see, here's the thing with Jay Happ. Like he, he relies upon contact for outs. That doesn't work when you don't get outs. Like if, if people, <laughs> yeah. everything is just dropping in. It's not a good strategy, but I just could not believe the over under on that. I honestly still don't know what I want to do with that. Because for me, when I see a total like that, it's going to be one of two things. It's an absolute trap. Or it's going to be done by, you know, before the fifth inning even hits. But that is just such a large total that I was shocked that not only did it, you know, open at that, but it's been sitting there too as well, that it hasn't gone one way or the other. So I just thought that that was such a crazy one to do. Um, one other thing I did want to bring up is that um, I've been doing a lot of run line bets. I really are starting to like those. Underdogs are just the play. They're just absolutely the play so far this season. Underdogs on the run line are hitting at 58%. 58%. So my on one the question, run line. I have one question. I want to hear what you have to say if you have more thoughts, but are, you know, how many of those do you think you have won where the team, where the team didn't win, but you covered, like how much does that spread run line one and a half come into play? And you're like, you know, you got a four to three loss and you win your bet because you took that instead of the money line. Uh, it's definitely because of that. They uh, not because of they're winning, because if you look at straight up, you know, underdogs right now are only hitting now at 43.1%. And that was, that has gone down dramatically from when we were first talking through the first month and a half underdogs were like the play continuously. I mean, underdogs at the end of the day, I mean, you are going to likely turn a profit if you're just continuously betting underdogs blind because of how much you can get back. But underdogs have definitely, it is definitely leveled off since, you know, when we first talked about this for the uh, first month or so in the season, but you know, teams are just covering. There have been a lot of close games, and obviously the numbers are backing it up here uh, that the um, the dogs on the run line are covering at such a rapid pace. Like I said, 58.3% dogs are covering on the run line right now. But to that end, the juice is usually there for that. Like you look at like, you know, tonight in that game with the Twins. Actually, this one isn't too bad, but the Twins are underdogs on the run line, and it's only minus 130. But like, for example, the Blue Jays and the White Sox. The White Sox are the underdog on the run line. And it's at minus 177. Not sure if I really want to take something like that. The Red Sox, underdogs on the run line, minus 195. Uh, no, thank you. Not really looking well, so to So that's take interesting that, so. because that's when, you know, if you have a game that's a near pick them and yep. you also offer a run line, that means one team has to be the underdog. And right. it's going to have to be juiced. Right, for sure. So uh, just something to keep an eye on as you're looking at the DraftKings Sportsbook and making some of your bets. Just take a look at some of those run lines because, you know, I feel like, you know, first run, no innings, that's getting really popular. Obviously, the DraftKings Sportsbook and, and Bleacher Report are doing a promo for that. Um, first half uh, lines are getting really popular, which I'm happy to see because I think that's probably some of your best um your best ways to get some action if you're just worrying about the starting pitcher, but uh, run lines too, I think are starting to get some love too as well. So just something to kind of keep on uh, for tonight. If I had one bet that I want to take tonight though, uh, I am absolutely taking a run line bet. 
but it's for a favorite, and that's the Marlins against the Rockies tonight. Minus one and a half for that. You're getting even money. Trevor Rogers going up against the Rockies, who are like the most putrid offense on the road. It's almost comical how bad they are. But Trevor Rogers, if he wasn't on the Marlins, he would be getting so much more buzz about how well he's pitched. He is the biggest favorite on the money line at minus 225. But for the Marlins to win this game by two runs at even money, I will 100% take that against a Rockies offense who cannot score. How's Miami's offense and who are they going against? Uh, so Miami's offense is not great, but they're going against probably the Rockies, probably one of the one pitches you really don't have to worry about at all in Chichi Gonzalez. And the Rockies bullpen is overworked and they're not really that strong overall anyway. So I that's why I just like that at even money. I think that's the play tonight uh, on this small slate. All right. I might be on that. That's going to probably do it for this edition of the Unreasonable Odds podcast. We'll be back next week. Julian, of course, will have some more NBA talk as we get closer to the conference finals. We'll get into that. Some NFL talk, I'm sure, and some more MLB talk. So for Julian Edlow, I'm Steve Buchanan. We will catch you maybe next week. Mm-hmm.